There are so many forms that it can take. Sometimes it's just heard as thank you. Sometimes it's just silence. Kids might do it this way. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. By his hand, we must be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. In light of a loss or a struggle, an adult may do it by pleading or requesting. And in light of a good or wonderful thing, somebody else might do it through great rejoicing. All of those are legitimate forms of prayer. And maybe the most famous form of prayer is the very one that Jesus teaches all of us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the rest of the prayer. It's one of the few times that Jesus gives us an exact model of something he wants us to do. Today, we are talking about one of the most powerful, one of the most significant, one of the most holy acts that a human being can take, and that is the act of prayer. Now, today's scripture passage is an incredibly easy one to remember. Uh, it's obviously easy to remember because it's only two words long, pray continually. It's one of the final list of commands that Paul gives in his letter to the people of Thessalonica. And it's also a good phrase to meditate on. So last week we talked about meditation and doing that with a short word or phrase. Here's a great example of that, to pray continually and to meditate on that idea and thought. However, I want to invite us today to not be fooled by the simplicity of the verse. Prayer is a rather tricky topic, especially when we're talking about doing it continually. For something so distinctive, so powerful, so holy, for something that can perhaps mold us into the image of God more closely than just about anything else on this side of heaven, we tend to dismiss prayer rather easily. Prayer becomes one of those things we know in our hearts that we should do, that it's somehow important, but then somehow its importance fades in our lives. I think it might be one of the evil one's greatest sources of deception. Satan knows that if he can get us to easily ignore or set aside one of the most powerful practices that God gives us, then God's influence in our lives and around us will be that much less significant. In my mind, it's kind of like being given the wood and the nails and a hammer to build a house, but saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just going to use a rock to pound the nails instead of the hammer. We miss out on one of the most tremendous resources that God freely gives us. One that's right here, right now, one that's accessible to all of us, one that is free. And so because we miss out on it, we miss out on so much of what God might have in store for us. Prayer is interesting in that we both know what it is and we do not know what it is. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. I love that phrase. I believe that prayer is both a way to be close and intimate and communicative one-on-one -on -one with God, but it's also a way to interact with God to see some of the biggest issues in life addressed. And so it has a macro, uh, an overview significance as well. Few practices are explained more explicitly in Scripture than prayer, 
In fact, as I shared a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus even goes so far as to say, this is exactly how I want you to pray. And then he prays that Lord's prayer. Now, Jesus is almost never that specific in terms of telling us how to do something. So in that way, we know what prayer is. But at the same time, <clears throat> I would say that prayer has a somewhat ambiguous nature to it. We mostly know what it is. And yet when you go to explain it to somebody or try to tell someone exactly how it works or why you sometimes get the results you're asking for and other times you don't, it can all get a little or a lot confusing. It's so simple that children could do it. We could invite any of our kids in Spark to come and pray and they could do that. And yet it's so deep that volumes upon volumes of scholarly works have been written about it and there are still deeper places to go around prayer. I bring all of this up because as we think about what it means to pray continually, what exactly does that mean for us? If you were with us last week, you will remember that as we're proceeding through this, this series, we're going through the journey of Lent. And in Lent, we are focusing on this most valuable possession that God gives to every one of us on this side of heaven, and that is the gift of our soul. We're exploring not only how to care for our souls, but how to have the most healthy, vibrant soul possible. And to do that, we're experiencing and looking at different spiritual disciplines throughout the season of Lent. And so last week, again, we looked at meditation as a, scripture, uh, as a spiritual discipline. We explored a practice that was probably a little bit foreign to us. I'm guessing a whole lot of us don't focus a lot on meditation. But now we come to this spiritual discipline of prayer. And this is one that is much more familiar to many of us. We swing to the opposite side of the spectrum here to something that we are much more comfortable with and aware of, I'm guessing. And here's the deal when it comes to prayer with the state of our souls. It's this simple, and I would say this powerful, the healthier our prayer life, the healthier our soul life will be. It is that simple and significant. In the 4th and into the 5th century, the theologian, the Bishop of Hippo, his name was Augustine, once said, What can be more excellent than prayer? What is more profitable to our life? What sweeter to our souls? What more sublime in the course of our whole life than the practice of prayer? Now notice the strong connection here between prayer and the soul. The more we engage in prayer, the healthier our soul. So again, last week we focused on meditation. Meditation helps us focus on the inner life. When we study, it transforms our minds, but it's in prayer that we're brought to both deep and high places in our human spirit. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. In other words, for prayer, it lies at the root of a healthy soul with God. To take this one step further, we realize this, that to pray, is to change. In fact, we could argue that prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. Our vision here at First Church is transformation in Christ. How can we live into that transformation? One of the most significant ways we can do it is by praying. Because when we pray, we know that we are changed. Why is that the case? Because the closer we come to the heartbeat of God in prayer, 
the more we see our own brokenness and the more we desire to be conformed into the image of Christ. And in turn, we see more clearly the glorious riches of Christ Jesus himself so that we can seek after the eternal life that only Christ can offer. That is powerful. All that to say, church, pay attention to prayer. Again, for you more reflective types, this might come more naturally. But for you non-reflective types, you doers like me, we need to take heed to what's being shared. Prayer is this important. Prayer is this significant. It does transform us into the image of Christ. And in this way, prayer is not just something we do if we feel like it. We do it because it is commanded and modeled by Christ himself. More than that, prayer is learned. It may not come automatically to us, and it doesn't come automatically just because we are a Christ follower. It requires intentionality. And if at first it's not easy, keep doing it. Do it until it does become easier, and eventually it will. Like any muscle, it becomes stronger the more we use it. Many of you know I have two sons, Josh and Zach. When Josh and Zach were small, or smaller, I would take the opportunity when they were babies especially, I could lift each of them up, one in each arm, and Jen could do the same. And we could walk around holding each of them in our arms. It is hard to believe that now, today, they are fully grown. Both of them are bigger than me. Now, when the boys were in their early teens, I started taking them at times to the gym with me. And I showed them different exercises. And they started doing those exercises. And at first, it was awkward for them. It was hard. It was weird. They weren't used to the bars and the free weights and all of those things. But over the time, my boys continued to go to the gym. It required effort and required intentionality. And Josh especially spends a lot of time at the gym. It's just part of what he does. It's now part of who he is. And now, for him, what was once so hard now comes so naturally. It's become woven into who he is. And he can now lift a lot. I mean a lot. <laughs> he puts a lot of intentionality and time into it. He can lift way more than me. Prayer's a little bit like that. The more time and energy we put into it, the easier it becomes. And actually, it becomes part of who we are. And we thus gain spiritual muscle and vitality in our souls. Maybe you think you don't have a whole lot of time to pray. The reality is most of us have so much going on that we think, I don't have much time to set aside to go and to pray. Now, the great reformer Martin Luther once declared, I have so much busyness going on, I cannot go on without spending three hours a day in daily prayer. Now, I mentioned that quote with a little bit of fear and trepidation, because while such examples are meant to encourage us, I realize that that might sound really discouraging for a lot of us. We might think those giants of the faith are so far beyond me, there's no, no way that I would ever be able to pray that long every day, and it might cause us to go towards despair. But I bring that example up to challenge us and to show us how important prayer is and the difference that it makes. Remember, God meets us where we are, and then God moves us into deeper things. So we may not have three hours a day, but we could start with two minutes a day, and then we could do two minutes a few times a day, and then we can do two minutes many times a day, or 
We may not have three hours again, but we can start to carve out five minutes here and there and then do that more frequently and then do it many times throughout the day. I just want us to understand we can pray more than we think. In fact, we can pray much more than we think. And my hope is not just that we'll pray for three hours a day. My prayer actually is that we will pray in an ongoing, continual way. How? I want to invite you to think about what this might look like in your life. Now that we've talked some about what prayer is, let's focus on the second part of this, the pray the continually. Well, how exactly can we do that? Remember, prayer is partly what we do, but the more we do it, it's also partly who we are. And who we are doesn't change. We're, we're always that person throughout the day. So if prayer can become part of who we are, then we have the opportunity for it to be a continuous part of our lives. Now, this might sound a little bit odd, but what I'm trying to suggest is that we actually become a people of prayer. This is why Richard Foster says, prayer takes no time, but it occupies all of our time. It's not that prayer is in addition to work, another activity to add on. It's that prayer is simultaneous with our work and our activity. In this way, prayer and action become wedded. It's not one or the other. There's a holy, sacred interweaving and overlap to them. So how do we do this? Well, I love the way Thomas Kelly says it. He says, there is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meaning all the demands of external affairs, but deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. I love that phrase, divine breathings. We can all pray. We can all pray a lot. When prayer becomes divine and continuous breathing in our lives, rather than a separate set aside extra chore to accomplish each day. In light of this, we can spend all of our time praying, not in an academic way, not in a calculated way, but in a breathing way, in a woven into who we are way. And so as we think about that, I want to start to lift up a few different ways that we can be in continuous prayer together to, to make this a little bit more practical for us. And I think the normal way that we go about praying, which is good, is we offer up prayers of thanksgiving and praise for the good things that happen in our life. And that's great. I want to invite us to keep doing that. And sometimes we offer prayers of request when we are struggling or a loved one is hurting and we pray for them and make a request to God. I want to invite us to keep doing that. And sometimes we offer prayers of repentance, especially in this season of Lent, when we know that we have fallen short, when we have sinned before God, we offer prayers of repentance to God. Keep doing all of those things. But when it comes to this deeper life of prayer, having the healthiest soul possible, I want us to see prayer as more than thanksgiving, more than requesting, and more than repenting. I want to invite you instead to think of prayer more as an IV to the soul. IVs are designed to hydrate and provide medicine that we need directly into our bodies. And the more that the prayer flows into our souls, the healthier we become quite literally hydrated in the spirit. So how do we do that? How do we learn to pray continually as today's scripture passage reminds us? Well, I'm going to list two primary ways for us to think about this that I can see us learning to pray continually. 
So one is this, continual prayer means praying while pausing. And the second is continual prayer means praying while doing. And I'm going to break those down more in just a moment, but my guess is that most of us need to be pushed in one of these directions. Some of us are really, really good at pausing and giving God our morning devotional time, but then neglecting prayer being infused into the activity or the rest of our day. So we do it in the morning, we pause, but it's not infused into everything else we do. Others of us are pretty good at just thinking about God throughout the day, going from one activity to the next, thinking about how God is part of that, but perhaps we rarely stop and give an actual chunk of time to God in any given day. We rarely pause. So which is it for you? Which way do you need to lean into? Well, we wanna to learn to do both. So let's break this down. Continual prayer, first of all, means praying while pausing. Well, how can we do that? We learn to listen. If we were going to be good prayers, one of the first thing we have to do is actually learn to pause and to listen so that we can hear the voice of God. The truth is we are not good listeners. And we live in a world that is not good at listening. In fact, I would argue it's increasingly difficult to listen in our world. We are more and more living in a world of the loudest voice wins. We see it in politics with people not listening to one another and shouting louder than our opponent. When it comes to our children and our youth, one of the greatest struggles they have right now is feeling isolated and alone. Why? Because there's no one to hear their voice, no one to really listen directly to them. Why is the need for counselors skyrocketing among us and mental health issues rising? Because people need someone to stop and listen to them. And we're not much different when it comes to prayer. We're so inclined to go straight to God with our agenda, our wants, our needs, our desires, our demands, our requests. And yet true communion with God is always a two-way street. The best prayers begin not with words, but with listening. Lest we ever underestimate the importance of prayer, remember that God has given us two ears to listen but only one mouth to speak. That's a two to one ratio. In the Philadelphia area, there are a number of statues that were created <clears throat> that depict different professions. It's a bit surprising to me that the one statue that's there that depicts a preacher looks like this. And notice where the hands of the preacher are. Not his mouth, which I would expect, but the ear. Why? Because a preacher's first task is not to just speak, but to listen to God first and then speak what God tells him or her to speak. It's the same with us in prayer. If we are going to pray for others, or for ourselves for that matter, we first have to get into contact with God so that God's life and power can flow through us to others. We cannot share what we ourselves do not possess. This is why on an airplane, when the oxygen masks come out, they say put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you try to help others. You can't give what you don't have. Think of it like this. Right now, literally wherever we are, there are dozens if not more <coughs> signals going through the very space that we're occupying. There's phone signals and Wi-Fi signals and radio signals and all kinds of signals. However, you and I will fail to pick up those signals because we're not tuned into the proper frequency. 
It takes a proper connection with the signal to then receive the signal to then know what to do with the signal. When it comes to praying, we can have all the faith in the world that we are praying and trying to pray and nothing happens. Why? Because we're not tuned into God. We're not relying on God's power or spirit to direct us. We've not stopped and listened first to God. We're so occupied with our agenda of prayer that we don't listen to God's agenda for what the prayer might be. And so one of the first steps of praying, real prayer, is to actually listen, to take action to pause and listen. I might call it a quiet action of sorts, to quiet our flesh activity, and in doing so, receive the silent thunder of the Lord of hosts, to attune ourselves to divine breathings at spiritual work among us. I love how Foster puts it when he says, listening to the Lord is the first thing, the second thing, and the third thing necessary for successful intercession of prayer. Listening becomes essential as part of our prayer life. We have to listen first to hear from God to respond. So that in this way, listening is so powerful. I invite you sometime, we won't do this right now, but I invite you sometime just to take 60 seconds or more of complete silence and just listen. And then notice what you hear. And the reality is you're going to hear things that you just didn't hear before. Maybe traffic going by, maybe a clock maybe your own heartbeat, maybe your own breathing. And what's interesting to me is all of those things were going on before you started listening, but you just didn't realize it till you stopped and listened. God speaks to us, but so often we miss it because we're just not listening. When it comes to prayer, we listen first to be attuned to God, to become aware of how God is moving in our hearts and in the lives for others, so that we can pray properly. In this way, listening is the beginning point of prayer so that we can listen for guidance. I would invite you as well when the listening, there can be a pausing and just see what God does in those moments. Maybe as you pause, someone's face appears in your mind, or maybe you feel a sudden swell of compassion for a person or situation. Or maybe our hearts begin to burn for justice around a particular area of life. Most likely that is God and the Spirit of God working in you as you attune yourself to the way of God. That's how prayer works. So how might we listen? Well, just take some time and put your phone on silent, even for a few minutes. Take time to be alone. Take a walk by yourself outside in nature or get some, to some place that holds meaning and value for you. Do whatever you need to do to allow the listening to occur. All of that happens when we learn to pause. But one other way that we can pause is this, and I, I, this is something that's been a little bit different for me, and so I offer it to you. How can we learn to pause? I would invite us to think about praying in pictures. Oftentimes in prayer, we look for the right words, to offer, and that's good. But as we pray, learn to visualize the results we're praying for. 
In this way, begin to engage your imagination for what the focus of the prayer might do or look like. It's hard to picture something in our minds when we're always distracted by doing, so praying in pictures helps us to really slow down and focus on what's before us. So for example, if we're praying for somebody who's sick, we might imagine and pray and lift up the picture in our mind of what it looks like for them to be healed, no longer in pain, able to get up and move easily around. If we're praying for a husband and wife who are struggling, maybe the prayer is a mental picture and prayer of them laughing together, talking well, communicating with each other. We imagine them once again showing affection towards each other. If we're praying for injustice, maybe we picture what justice in a particular situation would look like. We picture for the right resource to be delivered, or we imagine compassion being shown in the situation, or we, we imagine laughter rather than pain and violence in a particular situation. Whatever situation God lays in our hearts, we picture, we imagine as prayer. So I invite us to think about the listening and the praying in pictures as a way to help us pause. So if you're somebody who moves quickly, those might be two things you want to consider. However, continual prayer also means that we pray while doing. So how can we pray while we're doing other things? One thing that we can do is pray what I would call flash prayers. And that is, we learn to live in such a way that we see anybody kind of on the fly, that it sparks us to be in prayer for them. Uh, it's almost like if you walk by somebody and you see a kid crying, you might start praying for that child and we don't know why they're crying, but God does. Uh, it might be if we see somebody who's hurting, we start praying for them and lift them up in prayer. We don't know why they're hurting, but God does. And every time that we do this, we're quickly just offering a prayer to God. For me, this happens one, most frequently sometimes in an airport. If there's just something about when I'm in an airport and I see all these different people walking by, I'm always like, I wonder what their story is. And I can just begin to pray for them in those moments, even for a few seconds. It can be as simple as seeing a coworker uh, in need or you know, needing something. You could be praying for them. It could be seeing something that you're grateful for and lifting up a quick prayer of thanks, but flash prayer after flash prayer after flash prayer. Praying for God to touch someone's life or to help them receive forgiveness or an invitation to receive God's gift of grace and mercy in their lives, whatever it might be. Can you imagine if we all at the same time flooded the world with these kinds of flash prayers? Entire atmospheres could be changed as evil is literally pushed back, pushed back under the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. It reminds me almost of rain falling and each one of those individual drops coming together. What happens when you get enough drops together? It forms a river, a powerful current of God's goodness washing away evil in our world. We can be part of that when we engage in this type of prayer. So flash prayers can help us when we're on the go and when we're doing. And, and then here's one more uh, for you parents out there, but really any grandparent, any aunt, any uncle, Lift up parent or uncle or aunt or grandparent prayers. Every time you see that kid, just offer a prayer. Parents especially, maybe when your kids are sleeping at night, go in and pray over them. Maybe even lay your hand lightly upon them. Ask Christ to flow through your hands and bring healing to any trauma or any hurt that your child might have experienced for them to know you deeply and closely. 
Or again, maybe just hold your hand over them. Or put a picture of your kid or niece or nephew somewhere where you see them regularly that on the go you're just offering them prayer. And I'll tell you, you will love praying in this way. Take time to pray with your kids whenever able. Scoop them up into your arms. Bless them. Pray for them. And again, put their pictures in different places. I've got all of my kids' pictures up in my office in different places. Why? Every time I look at them, it's a prompt to pray for them. So today, I want to invite you to ask yourself, where do you need to pray continually? Through more pausing or praying by doing? Good marriages involve both pausing alongside each other and doing work alongside each other. A good marriage requires times just to pause and focus and celebrate your partner, to just appreciate them for them, to not be distracted by other people or other activities. And a good marriage involves doing things for the other, even if you don't feel like it. Making dinner, running errands, doing life together. Prayer is like that. Continual prayer is like that. Sometimes we need to pause to pray best, and sometimes to pray continually, we do it in the midst of our doing. If I can make one final request today, we've said multiple times now in 2024 that we see this as a year of jubilee. Would you commit to praying on a continual basis that this really will be a year of jubilee for First Church, where we see debts erased and justice offered and joy abounding and children blessed? and ask how you can be part of that Jubilee experience. How? Listen. Listen and ask the Lord, what role would you have for me in the year of Jubilee? Second, picture what this year of Jubilee can be like for us in the church in Williamsport. Picture the blessing it can be. So we pray through our pausing. We also pray through our doing. Every single time you see these facilities, when you pass them on the road or when you walk in, let that be a reminder for a flash prayer, that together we can pray God's blessing of Jubilee. And then, parents and really all of us, every time you see a child, your child, someone else's child, may it be a point reminder to pray for Jubilee as we focus on our kids and their faith formation in our church, in our community, as we seek to experience and celebrate Jubilee with them. If every single one of us were to do that, imagine all the raindrops forming together a river of God's goodness, blessing the world in Jubilee. But it takes all of us, and it takes all of us praying continually. By the grace of God, let us as the people of God pray continually together.